Amen. Well, goodness. Oh, have mercy. Good to see you this morning. Turn, if you would, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll take up this morning, beginning in verse 19. We're skipping some uh, because we're going to come back to those uh, in some special events on uh, fasting and praying and different things in that first part of chapter 6. So we'll move down to verse 19. It's a new transition. Every scripture has a lot of applications. It can apply to you in one way. It can apply to me in one way. It can apply to someone else in one way. But there's only one interpretation. Now, people would have you believe there's more than one interpretation. But you read this word right here, and what it says is what it means. There's one interpretation. That's where a lot of false doctrine comes in and false teachers comes in and heresy comes in because they've studied out of context. When Jesus speaks, we ought to know what he said, why he said it, to whom he said it, and what it meant when he did say it. It's called expository preaching, and that's what Brother Case and I both do around here. There are a lot of preachers who take a topic and then they go around and try to find scriptures to proof text what they're trying to preach. Uh, we don't have to find text to proof what we preach. The text is what we preach. And uh, that's the word of God. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19. Would you stand please in honor of God's holy inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Father, thank you this morning. Oh, how we remember what you've done in this place and on this ground. Lord, hmm. I thank you for putting the vision in a pastor's heart back in the early 50s to create a church and have a place to worship. I thank you, Lord, for all you've done in our lives, all the times our back's been up against the wall and you've come through just like you promised you would. Lord, today as we look at this scripture, God, could we forget about the things of this world and just focus on you today? Would you speak to us, Lord Jesus? And then not only speak, but, oh, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would we say yes to you? And the decisions that need to be made in this place today, may they be made for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This Sermon on the Mount that we've started and back in the book of early Matthew and there will be a time here during the holidays we variate from it a little bit and pick up later on. But we've been studying Matthew 5, 6 and, and hopefully we'll get into some of 7 too. It's all about the kingdom of God. Uh, when you're dealing with beatitudes, it's about the kingdom of God. When you're dealing with prayer, it's about the kingdom of God. When you're dealing with the light of the world, it's about the kingdom of God. When you're dealing with salt of the earth, it's about the kingdom of God. 
when he talks about loving your enemies, it's about the kingdom of God. You say, well, I don't like that. That doesn't fit in my 2019 society. Well, I got news for you this morning. The Lord's not interested in your 2019 society. He's not even interested in you being politically correct. We're not talking about something that jives with Hollywood and meets their morals. Wouldn't take much to meet theirs. We're not talking about what psychologists might believe today and what they may be teaching in college. You back up and you get to the context of Matthew 6 and it's talking about the kingdom of God. And much of what we've seen here is being done in secret. It's being done in the sanctuary. We're talking about what happens between a person and the Lord himself, between man and God himself. You're no greater Christian than what you are with, when you're with Jesus. If, you, if the highlight of your Christianity is coming down here on Sunday morning and uh, flashing around, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be exposed. You don't have a whole lot. What you are is not when the lights are on. What you are is when the lights are off, when there's no one there. Uh, this is a section of Matthew where we take what we've learned in private and then take it outside the walls of the church and live it out in public. My, that's what our world needs down now. Christians are supposed to know, and it breaks my heart, the pricelessness of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing you can say about it. It's the most greatest pleasure in this life is being able to be used of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to know that, but we're still hung up on stuff. The latest gimmicks, the world's full of toys and gimmicks. We think they've reached their pinnacle and suddenly a new one comes out. And we've got to have it. Something more amazing for those of us who are saved. And let me just interject this here that, guys, the bottom line is when the day is done, there's a lot of folks who say they're saved that are not saved. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just telling you there's a lot of folks who profess Jesus that don't possess Jesus. Uh, and it wasn't the problem of who they talked to. It wasn't the problem of the track that they used. It wasn't the Bible translation they used. It wasn't the prayer they prayed. The truth of the matter is they prayed the right prayer. They heard the right verses. They were in, right, in, in front of the right soul winner. But at the end of the day, they wanted their stuff more than they needed Jesus. And it fell on ground that could not produce. They came forward, they filled out a card, and we've been handling them like children of God, but when it comes time for judgment, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire to burn forever. Mm. When you get saved, we lay that mess aside. You come empty-handed. You come to the place where you say, Lord, I need you, and I need you alone, and no one else. And if you've not been at that place yet, I would encourage you this very day, you check your salvation. I, I'm not trying to scare anybody. I wish I could. If I could scare you out of hell into heaven, I, I'd, I'd wear black leotards, I guess. I'd do anything, you know, I'd do anything in the world. If I could scare you out of hell into heaven, I, listen, that's too, TMI, TMI. <laughs> Uh, Y'all want to see, you know. <laughs> Let me get into this scripture here. 
our, uh, our, Kenya, our Kenya friends are not sure how to take all of this. Uh, we, we, uh, they listen every week. Uh, their favorite song, Brother Aaron, is, is that in the presence of Jehovah. They'll, they'll be, oh, I'll get phone call after phone call. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the lesson. The, the caution is given us here about covetousness. He said in verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures. He's saying, do not lay up yourselves treasures upon earth because moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Coach Bobby Bowden, a tremendous man of God, coached at Florida State for years. He's retired now. He would always inspire his teams with parables and personal stories. And one day he was telling the story when he was playing college baseball. He had never hit a home run. And on this particular day, he jacked one out of the park. I mean, he knew it. Man, <laughs> dude, it was something. And he ran and he's getting around second base, and the, the coach is still waving him on, third base still waving him on. He gets around the home plate. People are high-fiving him. Everybody's shouting. They're just having the time. It's a glorious thing. And then the pitcher took the ball, threw it to first base, stepped on the base, and the ump said, you're out. Bobby Bowden learned something. If you don't take care of first base, it really doesn't matter what else you do. Hmm? I'm telling you, first base this morning is that you know you're a child of the king, that you know you're saved. If you're not to that point, I was just tell you, it doesn't make any difference what else you're going to do. That's the most important thing that you'll ever do. And in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stresses to us the importance of stepping on first base before we try to attempt to go anywhere else, put our focus and our eyes upon him. Something always going to be head in your life. I've used this illustration many times before. I know preachers will preach that Jesus has got to be number one, church number two, or family number two, church number three, job number four. That's hogwash. I want to just tell you this morning, I've told this illustration before, my beautiful wife, if I went home today and said, honey, you're the number one woman in my life, I guarantee you the rest of you women may be happy, but her first question would be, who's the number two woman in your life? Listen, Jesus didn't come to be number one or number two. He came to be everything. And when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says all these things will be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Many Christians today are not victorious in their Christian life. They're not growing spiritually because they don't treasure Christian growth. What you treasure is, where your treasure is, your heart follows. So they don't care anything about going to church. It's not important to them. Honestly, on the first day of hunting season, this is a good crowd. I mean, we, I, I was over at Arabella this morning. And I said, I love coming over here because I know none of y'all are going deer hunting. <laughs> they were all there. Standing room only, Brother Allen, over at Arabella this morning. Standing room only. Wow. They're not, they're not uh, sold out because their praying is, to them is a waste of time. Bible reading is irrelevant. Telling somebody about Jesus Christ, well, that's the most embarrassing thing. And don't you dare ask a Baptist to give a tithe. Man, they clog up like, I mean, it's just, you, you can't do that. 
because we've got the quest for material possessions that's more important to us than seeking the kingdom of God. <coughs> and he warns us, lay not up for yourselves treasures. Now listen, he's not condemning the wealthy. Don't leave here and say, the preacher don't like, I love the wealthy. I love the wealthy. If you're here this morning, you're wealthy, praise the Lord. God doesn't condemn you. Abraham was one of the wealthiest men ever walked on the face of the earth. Job also, the same thing. What he's condemning is when you let that wealth and those things take precedence over Jesus Christ, then you've got a real problem in your life. He's also, this negative command does not mean we're prohibited from earning a living. I've seen loafers do that. Well, I'm just serving the Lord and I'm just living by faith. No, you're not. No, when you tell everything, everything you need all the time, begging for money, you ain't living by faith. If you want to live by faith, keep your mouth shut and pray. And God will provide or else you'll starve to death. And if you're not walking with God, most of you are starved to death. Well, I, I could go through Romans 12, 11, Matthew 25, 27, Proverbs 14, 13, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. You go, he also is not condemning saving for the needs that our family will have in the future. In fact, he said, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. 1 Timothy's a little bit clearer of that, 1 Timothy 5, 8. It says, if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's pretty straight. That's pretty straight. Lay not up for yourselves treasures. He's not talking just about money. He also could be talking about time. He could be talking about resources that you have. Don't, he doesn't say do not lay up for yourselves money on earth. He says lay not up for yourselves treasures. And that's an inclusive term here in the Greek. It can mean wealth. It can mean uh, uh, clothes. It can mean uh, gold, silver, gem, wine, land, oil. It could even mean grain. Mm. There are a lot of treasures that we've got today. Our families are treasures. Amen. But I want to tell you something. You better listen to me. You put your family above the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Let me just be kind of blunt here. Men, if you treasure your wife, you wouldn't be shopping around looking for another woman. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Ladies, let me tell you, men come off like we're big and strong. But I want to tell you, we need some woman patting us on the back saying, it's going to be all right, baby. I'm with you. Hmm. Marriage is honorable, Hebrews 13, 4 says, and all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Where's your treasures at this morning? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Harold Fickett wrote about a wealthy businessman on his deathbed was filled with remorse and his pastor had called him and he just opened his heart and shared the burden. He said, 10 years earlier, pastor, you asked me to teach a nine-year-old uh, nine boy's Sunday school class, junior class, and there were 10 boys in that class. And I told you uh, I just didn't have the time. I declined the offer. He said, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made in my life. He said, I was thinking here as I'm getting ready to die, I could have probably had an influence and investment over a hundred boys 
in the last 10 years that have come through. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I was more tied up with my stocks and my bonds. And he said, what a fool I've been. When I leave here, they're all going to be done away with. It's easy to make a buck, but it's a lot harder to make a difference. Are you making a difference for Christ? Where's your treasure? The, the, the second thing that's here, though, is evident. There's a plague and corruption of earthly treasure. Jesus urges us not to lay up those earthly treasures. Why? Because they can be spoiled. They can be, they can be rotted. And if they're not spoiled or rotted, <laughs> they... Uh, they could be stolen. Did you know one of the hardest things wealthy people do is trying to protect their clothes from the insects? Did you know that? See, we don't have that problem because we wear the same clothes every day or every week. We just rot. Yeah, but folk who have a lot of clothes, you know, you can't let the moth and all get in there. They'll eat them all up. Grain was considered a treasure in Bible times, but that treasure could be ruined. The word rust here is from the Greek word brosis. It means to be devoured or eaten. Not only the corrosions of metal, but the destruction of grain by all the varmints. And then treasures could be stolen. I mean, everything you've got, it loses its luster. You buy a new car, and somebody comes out, puts a ding in the door. And then it loses its luster. You get a new house, and bless God, there's a leak in the thing. You know, or even the thing, the things that we depend on. I'm, I remember, hey, I, I'm like some of you old folk. I remember when washing machines used to last 30 years. You didn't need to buy one. I, you know, we moved here uh, into this house 12 years ago, bought a new refrigerator, and I thought, we'll never, I'll die. We'll never have to buy another refrigerator. Well, three or four years ago, the thing went out, and the guy says this. He said, it would cost you more money for me to try to run down the leak in that line than it would be you just go buy one. What a world we live in. I mean, even your clothes, they wear out. Or you outgrow them. <laughs> huh? I mean, everything we've got tangible can suddenly be gone. Just like that. Everything, everything, they all lose their luster. Haggai verse one, chapter 1 verse 6 says this, you've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to be put in a bag with holes. Anybody here ever experienced that? You bring that check home, you think, I'm going to get ahead. There's a hole in that bag somewhere, and, and you lose all of that. Money will buy a bed, but it won't buy you sleep. Some of you got the best beds, and I see you on Facebook at 3 o'clock in the morning. Money will buy books, but it won't buy brains. There's more books floating around ever before in the history of our world, and there's more idiots trying to read them than anything I've ever seen in my life. Money will buy you food, but it won't buy you appetite. I was up with Billy Nelson last night, and I said, Billy, you're going to have to eat. He said, I don't have no appetite. I mean, they offered anything in the world. I almost thought, let me have a little bit of this. I haven't had supper yet. But <laughs> you can have all the food you want to, but it's not going to buy you an appetite. 
It'll buy you a house, but it won't buy you a home. It puts you in medicine, but it won't buy you health. It'll even buy you religion, but it won't buy you salvation. Jesus warns us that earthly treasure will be destroyed. I reminded myself, I looked it up. This old miser, very wealthy. He preacher had been preaching, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. And he called his doctor and his lawyer and his preacher to the deathbed. And he said, I know you say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try to prove you wrong. I've got three envelopes here, $30,000 cash in each envelope. And he said, when y'all walk by my casket, I want you to lift up my hand and put that envelope under there. I'm going to take it with me. Well, the day came for the funeral, and each man did just what he was requested to do. But on the way home, the minister said, I got to confess something to you. I, uh, our church needed that money. I took out $10,000, and I just put 20000 in there. And that doctor said, well, I got to confess to you. We're building a new clinic, and I took out $20,000, and I just put 10000 cash in there. That lawyer said, gentlemen, you make me ashamed. I threw in a personal check for the full amount. <laughs> I used to preach. I used to preach. I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, but about two years ago, I saw that in Houston. And so I can't preach that anymore. I'm not sure they ended up in the, in the same place. Job said this. Job understood it. Job said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Then there's a charge here about our treasures in verse 20. He said, don't, there's a negative, but here's a positive. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Colossians 3, 2 tells us to set our affection on things above, not on the things of this earth. Set your affection is from a Greek word that means to seek or to set your mind on something, to be determined that you're going to go in that direction. And our heart is to be on heaven because we're citizens of heaven. We've got, I know we're here on this earth, but folks, this is a short time compared to eternity. We're going to live there forever. Philippians 3.20 says, for our conversation is in heaven. And that word conversation is the Greek word for citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior and the Lord Jesus. Laying up treasures in heaven. That means doing everything we do for the glory of God. Heavenly treasures never diminished. It can't get, the rust doesn't bother it. The moths don't bother it. Nobody can steal it. Well, the Lord himself's guarding it. It's a perfect place. You, 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 can't, you can't rob heaven. Most Christians seem to be content with just a little heavenly treasure, living on skimpy spiritual rations. I don't have time this morning, but... I just jotted down a few things we could do to help heavenly treasure because, you see, you can't take it with you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that you can send it on up ahead. You're not going to take it with you, but what you do here can send it on up ahead. Sacrificial giving to the Lord 
is a spiritual investment. It's spiritual. Mm. We, uh, Mark 10, 21 says, Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, you go thy way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross. The Bible says he went away sorrowfully, sorrowfully. You see, we just, our, our scripture, I think it was last month or the month before, says you cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it at the same time. It, 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 mammon is a word that refers to material possessions. Mm. Supplication or praying is a spiritual investment. You've got children. You've got grandchildren. Are you really praying for them? I mean, no, you don't answer that. I'm talking about daily. Are you praying for them? Do you believe in the power of prayer? You need to spiritually invest in your children and your grandchildren. I mean, th this is a wicked, crazy world we live in today. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ is an investment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, He that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward, reward according to his own labor. Steadfastness, faithfulness is a, is a spiritual investment. And then soul winning is a spiritual investment. It's a huge spiritual investment. Suffering for the sake of Jesus is a spiritual investment. Some Christians believe it's always carnal to desire and to work for eternal treasures and rewards. But Jesus commanded us to do that. He commanded us to lay up for treasure. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15 talks about that. Let me give you the last thing and I'm through. There's a primary principle here of your treasure that you need to understand before you leave here today. And it's found in verse 21. It says this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We have that backwards in so many places. So many people think if we can just get people's heart touched, that they'll follow through and they'll support the ministry and they'll give. No, your heart will shatter your treasure. That's what he's saying. It'll focus on that which you consider to be important and to be valuable. And whatever you consider to be the most valuable thing in your life, inevitably, <clears throat> beyond any doubt, takes up the most of your time. You can find out what you really love. You've got to be careful where you spend your money. Listen to me. Because where you spend your money, your heart will follow that money. You've got to be careful. People say, well, I come to church and nothing exciting really happens there. Well, you need to tithe more. Up your tithe. About 20%. I knew I wouldn't get no amens, but I'm just telling you, if you want to enjoy church more, up your tithe more, the more money you put in here, the more your heart's going to follow. I don't have a heart for my church. Well, come down here and spend about three hours with a daycare class. You see, when you work, or go work on Wednesday night over here with these children, or go over here to, I had a guy tell me this here not long ago. He said, you remember when you asked me to work in children's church? I said, yeah. He said, I went just because you asked me. That's it. He said, but now 
I, I love going over there. I look at those kids. I'm spending my money on snacks. I'm praying for them on my knees on Saturday night. Man, they've taken a big portion of my life. I said, yeah. But he said, I love it. You know what happened? He started investing time and money, and his heart come bounding along. That's what the Scripture says. Where are your treasures at? J.C. Penney was a tremendous Christian. When he got saved, he decided, along with some more, Letourneau was the same in that era too, Penny decided that he would live on 10% and give God 90%. And he did. And then the Great Depression hit, and everybody lost everything. And they were standing there one day at a hospital that J.C. Penny had literally paid for every dime of it. And the guy said, don't you wish you had some of that money back? Now that we've had the depression and we've all lost everything. And Penny looked at him and he said, oh, no. He said, everything I kept for myself, I lost. Only what I gave away is what's counting today. Folks, that's, that's the bottom line right there. Maybe we're so busy catching up on television, our movies, our magazines, computers, our smartphones. Maybe we just need to set aside some time and say, you know what? Let's just shut all that off and let's just spend a little time at the feet of Jesus. Let's just see what the Lord has for us. Just, just see what God wants you to do. I want to tell you, when you try to draw close to him, he'll draw close to you. He'll be there. I think everybody don't agree with this, but I think our, what we do here on this earth determines our rewards in heaven. I, I'm crazy. I'm one of those that believe there are going to be different levels in heaven, and I think there are going to be different levels in hell. I think the level for the hypocrite is going to be the hottest there is. Some of you, you say, well, no, God promised me a mansion. Well, it will be a mansion, but upside somebody else's, yours might look like a shack. You say, well, why would God build me a shack in heaven? Because you've spent all your time on earth worrying about a mansion. If you're not worried about a mansion down here, he'll build you, man. I just believe that what we do for the glory of God is going to carry over. It's going to go ahead of us. Maybe this morning you're here and you need to take care of first base first. You need to invite Jesus to take over your heart and life. You say, preacher, it sounds simple. Oh, it is in theory. But boy, living for Jesus is a little bit more of a challenge than just coming to Jesus. Maybe this morning you need a church home. I invite you to come. Maybe you need to just come and say at this altar and say, Lord, I, I need a word from you. It's been a while, and I just need, I've been like, I've, I get them mixed up. Who is it, Mary or Martha? Which one of them was the one who always worked? Martha was the one always busy working, and Mary told her one time, Martha got on her, you need to be in here helping me again. Oh, no, I've decided I want to sit at the feet of Jesus. I need that this morning from the feet of Jesus. Father, thank you again today for speaking to our hearts. 
Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. And I pray today, dear Lord Jesus, that you will just fill this place, Lord, that people would not have a chance to look at the world, the things of this world, the cares of this world would not be on our hearts and our minds. But, Lord, we would focus upon you as Lord and Savior. God, would you save people today before it's eternally too late? Lord, if there's anybody here not sure, God, would they be sure before they leave this place today? Have your way in all of our lives. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together as Brother Aaron leads us? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for you. Empty to be filled. 
by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Would you just bow your head just as these finish up? God's speaking to you. There's still time for you to come. God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated just for a moment while we're waiting here for these to finish up. Let me encourage you. Don't forget tonight, Brother Case will be preaching, 6 o'clock. It's going to be good. You do not want to miss it. And thank you to all of those. I know it's been said, but just from your pastor. Uh, boy, Thursday night was something to behold. Uh, tremendous, tremendous turnout there. And uh, thank you for everyone who made a part, uh, had a part in that. Don't forget, next Saturday is the National Quartet Convention, uh, and uh, it's, it's going to be good. If you need a ticket, see us in here, and we'll get you one of those. All right. We have, first of all, Shelby Brown. Shelby, come. If you would, Scott, you come here and stand with her. And Shelby comes this morning, already accepted the Lord, and uh, and... Yeah, it's by statement, okay? Uh, so she's been scripturally baptized and wants to be a part of Woodland Hills. How do you receive her? Amen. And then we've got Marcus Rowe. Marcus, if you would come. Amen. Marcus comes this morning, been saved and baptized, okay, and wants to be a part of Woodland Hills by statement. How do you receive him? Amen. And then we have Judy and Raquel Berlin. Uh, come if y'all would right here. Both of those have been saved, and they're coming uh, from a sister church by statement there. How do you want to receive them? Amen. Praise the Lord. And then we got John and Shirley Ramey, okay? Come if y'all would, and uh, they're coming from Burley, Idaho. Is that right? That's, right? That's right. Amen. Calvary Baptist Church. I bet it's cold up there, huh? It's about 19 this morning. 19 this morning. <laughs> Praise the Lord. My wife would love it, but thank God for Texas. Amen. <laughs> ah, who do y'all know best here? Perkinses. The Perkinses. Dale, come on down here. You're the birthday boy this week. Can you believe that? 39 and holding. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. Uh, let's see. Uh, who do you know best? Anthony, Anthony? Come on down here, Anthony. Amen. Praise the Lord. And Scott's with uh, her. Uh, y'all, Who do y'all know best here? Yeah. <laughs> David and C were the first ones we met. Y'all come on down here. Amen. Amen. I want you to come by and give them the right hand of Christian fellowship. Welcome them to the family of God at Woodland Hills. What a joy to be in this place this morning. Amen. When you find one of them deer hunters, just say, look, would you be gone next Sunday too? 
God bless so much when you were gone that we just need you to be gone another Sunday. Amen. No, I'm joking with you. I'm joking. Thank you for all of those who, who put up with the water problems and all. We're, we were experiencing all that. Thank you for your patience in that. God bless you. Would you stand together? Join hands across the aisle if you would. I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Brother Paul Crawford, would you lead us in our closing prayer?